0: where we will begin, Psalm chapter 2. You would find that portion of scripture. We hear then God's breathed out word to us this morning, the words of this psalm. Why do the nations rage? The peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Then we turn to Hebrews chapter 1. The book of Hebrews chapter 1. We read God's breathed out word to us here as well. Hebrews is forever and ever the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will, be roll, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same. and Your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? As far as the reading of God's word to us, let's bow in prayer once again. Dear Lord, we thank you once again for this privilege and an opportunity that we have this morning to come and worship you. And we pray for those that could not be here today, dear Lord, that we ask that you lift them up and restore them so they can worship with us next week. And we just pray as we open your your word here, dear Lord, that you be with Pastor Bob in this message and as a congregation that you apply it to our hearts and our minds that we can learn to live for you. We just thank you for all the blessings once again that you have given us. This we ask in Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. A couple of months ago, I asked Pastor Mark if uh, he would uh, come up with a, a sermon series for this Advent time, and uh, so we are going to be between him and myself over the course of the next several weeks uh, preaching a, a series of sermons this morning. Begotten of the Father, next Lord's Day, born of a woman. On the 25th, born this day, and in the evening, born to save. Then on the first of the year, Brother Mark will be preaching a, a message on that he was buried and brought up as we celebrate that glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well. We divided things up, and uh, looking at the sermons and so on, I I thought uh, probably as senior pastor, I probably ought to take on the the more difficult of them, which is the begotten. Because it is a difficult concept. It's not easily... By the human mind comprehended. And so I I admit to you this morning, I make but a feeble attempt at helping us to understand that repeated word that was found in Psalm 2 and now here in Hebrews chapter 1 as well. Today I have begotten you. But first of all, our, our first point is going to be the human mind. Our second point, following the outline will be the text that we have before us today. But before we can really begin to to deal with the text, we need to understand ourselves and we need to understand our minds in this regard. And in regards to the human mind, the first thing we have to confess about ourselves is that our minds are very limited. We are limited in our minds because of sin. It clouds us. Sin puts a cloud over our human mind. So that we we cannot know perfectly. We cannot know fully. We cannot understand completely. Sin is always part of our thinking. There is always a hindrance. Even as Isaiah says in regards to to our works, Even the best of them is like a filthy garment before the Lord. Because everything for us has some remnant of sin. We can't even think of glorious truths without in some way having an incomplete and inaccurate knowledge of those things. Sin limits us. Ever since the, the day when Satan comes and tempts Adam and Eve with um, God knows that on the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt know. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Yes, there is a portion of that which the devil said that is correct. They would come to understand good and evil. The problem is the evil was going to be pervasive. And will continue to be pervasive for us. And so our understanding, even of this term begotten, we got to understand our mind is limited by by sin. And so if, if there are parts of it we don't understand, we don't raise an angry fist to God and say, you're wrong, God, in what you said. No, instead we're humbled and confessing, God, I realize that my sinfulness gets in the way of my truly understanding the greatness of that which is true of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he is begotten of the Father. The second limitation that we have is not only sin, it's the fact that we are creatures. We we are the creatures, and it is the Creator who is speaking to us. And and we, because of that sin, live in a constant rebellion against that Creator. We always want to usurp Him. We always want to be in His place, which is also what Satan is after at that tree. Come on, come on. You you can be as good as God. You, You can be in the same place as God. And there is a way in which even we as Christians sometimes place ourselves in a way of of diminishing God and exalting self. But we do it with our minds as well. Because we cannot understand something, we charge God with some sort of wrongdoing and untruth. And if I can't conceive of it, if I can't get it, then it must be wrong. Rather than acknowledging that he is the creator. That he is far above. He is holy. He is perfect. In all that he tells us. In all that he reveals to us. And our mind as a creature. Begins with, with a desire to rebel against that authority. Rebel against that truth. And to diminish who God is, and exalt self. Thirdly, our minds are limited not just by sinfulness, not just by our creatureness, which is probably an invented word, but also by our finiteness. We are set in the boundaries of time. We are conditioned by time. Our mind is incapable of understanding Beyond time. Our mind is incapable of taking in and grasping eternity. Because we are creatures, we always think in terms of beginning. Something had to start. Something had to start. It had to start. It had to start. It had to start. start. And so we apply that to God. There had to be a start of God. God had to begin somewhere, at some point, at some time. Because of our finiteness, we're we're encased in this understanding. But God lives outside of time. He intervenes into time, but he exists outside of it. God is not a finite creature. God is infinite. He is beyond the realms of time. He doesn't, isn't conditioned by time. He's, he, he doesn't have to set the parameters of time upon himself. He does so only as a, a, as a conciliatory thing and speaks in that way in order that our minds might have some sort of grasp upon the revelation of himself. But he himself exists beyond that. So our minds are limited. But secondly, our minds are probing. God has created us as human beings with such a way that our mind probes. Our mind seeks knowledge. Our mind seeks awareness. Paul reveals such, does he not, in Romans chapter 1, about about man, that God has placed within man a truth, but man is always rebelling against that, but man is also always seeking knowledge, he's seeking something. And in many respects, that's good. Our minds, in terms of seeking discoveries, our minds, in terms of being inquisitive, None of us looks upon the inquisitiveness of a child as being something horrible. Now, sometimes it can be a little infuriating, right? But their question of why, 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 why? It's a beautiful question. When we hear it from our young children or from our grandchildren, there is a smile of joy and delight because we know there is a mind that is functioning, a mind that is desiring to grow. That's good. It's good to seek discoveries. It is good to be inventive. God has given us a mind with that sort of capacity. Of problem solving. He gives us a mind. A reasonable mind. So that we can do these things. So that we can communicate. So that he can speak to us. That he might communicate to us. He gives us a mind with that sort of capacity. Mind. That can love. Love. Love him above all, love our neighbor as ourselves. It's good that our minds are probing, but it has a negative side too, doesn't it? There is a bad side of that probing mind. And we see that bad side of the human mind when, when people come to the point that everything, everything has to be understood by human reason. If human reason, if human mind cannot understand it, then it is no longer truth. If I cannot comprehend it, then it's no longer true. If I don't understand it, then what you believe is wrong. Because truth is only that which my mind accepts as true. Now we've ventured Into a problem area, haven't we? We've all lived through in the last couple of years the words. What does the science say? What does the science say? What does the science say? You see, that's the product of minds that require some sort of reason, some sort of explanation. And unless there is an explanation for it, it will not be accepted. And of course then, we have the problem in regards to that, that our mind is sinful, our mind is the mind of a creature, and our mind is finite. It leaves no room for God. It leaves no space for God. It leaves no truth for God. This is where the progression Of humanity has come into our day and into our age. So when we go back to the text today, we run straight into this. Begotten of the Father? How can this truth be? I can't understand it. Therefore, I will not accept it. You notice that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, what the author is seeking to do is to lay before these folks the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. This is all about the Son, isn't it? And, and, and one of the statements that he makes in regards to how great and glorious is Jesus Christ not only that, that he's the appointed heir, not only that he is the radiance of the glory of God, verse 3, not only that he is the exact imprint of his nature, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, not only that he is sitting down at the right hand of the majesty, but he is far superior to even the angels of God. Because he says, verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And where did we read that? We read that in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is where the author of Hebrews is quoting from. Psalm 2 includes those very same words, which were what? A testimony of God, a testimony that God came to the nations of the world, to the kings of the world, who are living in rebellion against God, living in rebellion against God's rule, living in rebellion against God's truth. And he says, here is my son. I have begotten him. And I have set him on the hill of Zion to rule and to reign forever." And ever and ever. The hill of Zion, of course, is not a physical place in Jerusalem. The hill of Zion is the church. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the church of God. He has been set as the king to rule and to reign. Therefore, you kings, be warned. This is the one you need to acknowledge. This is the one you need to accept. This is the one you need to kiss. This is the one you need to be humbled by. Because he is my son and I have begotten him. What does that mean? What does it mean that the son has been begotten? Well, it's clear from the text, one, that this being begotten is of the father. That the father is the one who has begotten the son. Uh, I'm probably going to pause a few times because I I don't want to use the word beget. Because to beget is different than to be begotten. And yet I don't want to confuse the whole thing. But it is important that we retain the biblical word that God has given, the revealed words that God has given to speak to us the truth About Jesus Christ. Who is this that is born of Mary? Who is this that the angels are singing about is born this day? Who is this one who is born to say? Who is this one who was buried? Who has been brought up again and given life? Who is this? He is the begotten son of the father. And the context of both Psalm 2 and Hebrews chapter 1 lets us know that this is not a temporary thing. But that this being begotten of the Father is of eternity. Oh, there we run into it, right? Okay. So it's not only we're going to have difficulty understanding this begottenness of the Son, it's, it's the fact that, that we have to consider this from all eternity. The Son is eternal. Eternally begotten of the Father. Psalm 2, Hebrews 1 are both speaking to that truth. So what does it mean to be begotten? What What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean to be born of the father, right? Fathers don't bore children, although our society will probably make an attempt. He is born of a woman. Scripture is very clear. The father does not bore the son. The father doesn't birth the son. The woman does. That's Pastor Mark's message next Lord's Day, so I better not step too far that way. But what does it mean then? It means this. That the son derives his being from the father. But derives does not mean take a part of. It means in a relationship sense. The son is only the son because there is a father. And the father is only the father because there is a son. It is in that relationship. It is not in his essence. Okay, now, let, let. Let me try to be as clear about this as I possibly, in my own limited finite creature mind, can bring this. There was not a point in time somewhere back in eternity where there was only the Father. And one day the Father said, I think it would be a good idea if I begotten a son. And so there emerged a second being from the Father. And then another day, the Father and Son got together and said, I think it would be a good idea if there was a Holy Spirit. And so a Holy Spirit emerged from them. That is not what this is about. That is not what is happening. Any such thought. When it comes to your mind, because sooner or later it comes to all of our minds at some point. When that thought comes to your mind, you have to say, be gone, Satan. Because Satan would love to have nothing else than for you to think that Christ is not God. Because if Christ is not God, then there is no mediator and if there is no mediator you have no salvation and your condition is hopeless that's where he wants to bring you so all you say is be gone satan be gone satan it's wrong thinking it's heretical thinking why does it come to us then? because we're sinful be, because we're creatures because we're finite it comes. And yet, what does Jesus say? Be gone, Satan. No, no, it's not where we go. Christ, the Son, has been from eternity God. We are speaking about. A relationship that the Father says, because of the Son, I from all of eternity have begotten Him. He is from all of eternity part of me, part of my being. Because we are one. In being, we are not separate entities. We are not separate gods. We are indeed one. There has been no time ever, ever, ever where Christ has not been the Son. The Son has always been God. I I don't even want to say the the Son emerges from the Father. because, Because that would denote that at some point in time, the Son did not have an existence. This is the divine mystery. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. Yeah, stop our threats to God. Stop our, well, I'm not going to believe that because I can't understand it. Understand the limitations of our mind, but understand the glorious truth that is coming before us here. He is begotten of the Father. And the importance of that, that the underscoring the importance is that he is the only begotten one. There there is nothing else in all of creation to which those words can apply only to the Son. He is the only begotten Son of the Father. We are children, we are sons by adoption, but not because we've been begotten. That is only true of the Son. B.B. Warfield said, Jesus Christ the Son is all that God is. Not part of God, not a slice of God. Right? See, when we look at our children, right, they are part of us, but they are not us. What begotten means is they're not there next to us. The Son is God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. Not three gods. One God. Oh, the, the, The inability of our minds to actually fully comprehend what God is speaking to us here. But why this sermon today? Because that's Emmanuel, God with us. That the promise is that, that God is coming. And in the, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, that's God. Anything else is heresy. Any, any way of diminishing that is less than the glorious truth that God has revealed. You mean God became a baby? Yeah. You mean God was in the womb of Mary? Yes. Isn't Isn't this amazing? What is happening here? What God is teaching us? What God is revealing to us in this one simple. Word. In the King James Version of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. He didn't just give us a son. He gave us his only. The one and only who has been begotten, who is the same as he. Not in terms of a duplicate twin, but in the same being. All that distinguishes is a relational distinction within the being of God. Why he is begotten. Take your Trinity hymnal once again. Go with me to page 851. 851. And notice how this truth becomes so pivotal to the early church. Do you notice the years in which we're singing? Why? Why are we in the third, fourth, and sixth century? Because this is the truth the church is fighting for. Because there were those heretics who were denying this very truth. And the church understood that if this truth goes, so does Christianity. So what did they do? They made it part of their creeds. They made it part of their confession. Page 851, right? Second paragraph, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. The Nicene Creed, next page. Page 852, second paragraph. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Where did we hear that? Hebrews chapter 1. who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and dead whose kingdom shall have no end. Where do we find that truth? Psalm 2, Hebrews chapter 1. See, they're only confessing the truth of Scripture. But they're saying, this is essential. Church, we cannot give up on this truth. This needs to be the truth that the church holds on to. Look at the next page, page 853, the Athanasian Creed. I'm going to pick it up at verse 21 or section 21, a little statement 21. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and Son. Accordingly, There is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. None in this Trinity is before or after. None is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with one another. So in everything, as was said earlier, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. You deny this truth? The church has been saying since its existence you deny this truth, you're not a Christian. Makes it pretty important, makes it pretty pivotal in our understanding. And yet, there is the mystery of this. See, One of the the interesting things is when you go back prior to this age of reason, prior to this enlightenment where all of a sudden man became the brilliant scholar and God became dumb, and we got smart and God got dumber. You know what those reformers would often say? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. And I'm okay with mysteries. Now the mystery here, we're not using mystery in the sense of, of, you know, like a mystery novel. We're, We're using it in the sense of this is beyond my mind, your mind, to fully know and to fully comprehend. It's a mystery. We could write about it, we could read about it, we could preach about it, but in the end, it comes down to the fact this is mystery. My sinful mind, my creature mind, my finite mind can never understand All there is to know about God. If it did, I'd be God. And believe me, I am not, nor are you. Begotten of the Father, the one who comes the one whose birth we celebrate, the one who this season of the year is supposed to be focused upon. It's not just the babe of Bethlehem. It's who that babe really is. The one who is begotten of the Father. I am never going to fully know. But Christmas brings wonder. What an amazing thing this is. What a wonderful thing this is. It is so. Wonderful that God did something there in Bethlehem that no human being is ever going to be able to, by their reason, by the scientific method, by all their philosophizing, is ever going to fully get. It just makes our jaws drop. This is an event, you see, that I'm never going to understand, but I'm going to be in awe of the grace of. Because you see, we've got to couple this with what Paul is writing in Timothy, right? Jesus Christ, the begotten Son, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. This thing that I can't even fathom, that is so wonderful and beyond my capacity to to grasp, this Christ, this Son, is the one who comes into the world to save me? Oh, the grace of that. The awe of that. This event that I'm never going to comprehend fully is cause for me to rejoice in how extensive is his love. This one. This Son, begotten of the Father, not created, not made, before all worlds, for all of eternity, has come into the world to give himself because he loved. Especially the day and age in which we live, in which the world continues to seek to silence us, to put us down. Well, that makes no sense. That's unreasonable. You and I say, absolutely right. Absolutely right. My mind, your mind, is never going to fully understand The love, the mercy, the grace of God. So when we come to Bethlehem, we rejoice. But we wonder. And we're okay with the wonder. Because it's not like I'm supposed to get it fully. I'm supposed to allow for the mystery of God who is beyond all knowledge and all comprehension. And yet, as the church of Jesus Christ, we confess it. And we believe it. And we accept it. Because thus has God spoken. Amen? Amen.